Welcome to Opportunity Africa, unpacking the continent. Today, Rudolf and myself are privileged to be joined by the Regional Managing Director for Africa at the U.S. International Development Finance Corporation, Vib Jane. Uh, and Vib's going to uh, hopefully give us an update on the DFC's investment plans for Africa. But for the benefit of some of our listeners, uh, the DFC is a development finance institution of the United States federal government, uh, and its primary responsibility is for providing and facilitating the financing of private development projects in lower and middle income countries. So Vib, uh, welcome. Hi, Brendan and Rudolph. Thank you for inviting me. Looking forward to our discussion. If I, if I may start by delving into your background, we know you're a Yale graduate and a Harvard Law School alumni, <laughs> but please tell our listeners the path you followed to become a regional MD for the U.S. federal government's main African development arm. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I will say my path um, was not necessarily always clear to me, um, but I think I always had a strong interest in development and in finance. Um, so, you know, ever since I was a student um, at Yale, um, where I studied economics, I've been interested in international development work and understanding how macroeconomic policy can help influence development. Um, and, you know, while I was an undergrad and also as a law student, I took a number of courses on development, on development policy and focused on Africa and Asia. Um, after I graduated, like many law students, I went to work in corporate law in New York, not really quite sure where I would be able to use my interest in international development to build a career. But I always in the back of my mind had um, the desire to seek out careers that would allow me to um, work in emerging markets. Um, so, you know, after working for a number of years as a corporate lawyer, um, I got the opportunity to work for a renowned development economist, Jeffrey Sachs, on his sub-Saharan Africa-focused NGO called Millennium Promise. Um, so at the time, we were focused on proving you can break out of the poverty trap in some of the poorest parts of rural sub-Saharan Africa and achieve the Millennium De- Development Goals, which are now, of course, the Sustainable Development Goals. Um, that was my first time really 100% working on issues relating to Africa, to spending time in the region, and going to quite remote places. Um, it was a very profound experience for me. I really fell in love with the region. I um, also grew to appreciate the importance of working with private sector institutions to affect change. Um, some of the most impactful work I did with this NGO was in fact the result of some of our corporate partnerships with the likes of telecommunications companies, fertilizer providers, bed net manufacturers, pharmaceutical companies. And so really that was the beginning of my interest in in working with the private sector to affect um, development in Africa. Um, after that, you know, I continued working as a lawyer and I actually also moved into financial services more fully, um, working for a boutique bank in New York and really immersing myself in corporate and project finance transactions, um, mostly in North America, but also a few internationally. Um, I moved to South Africa about six years ago. Uh, initially, um, I, I started working at for USAID for a really exciting program that was launched under the Obama administration called Power Africa that focused on uh, catalyzing project finance investment 
to deliver power to um, African populations, so energy generation and access. Um, it was an incredible experience. I traveled all over the continent. I met a lot of really um, interesting leaders, um, a lot of uh, you know visionary project developers. And um, about a year ago, after working at this program for about five years, um, there was an opportunity with the then to be formed Development Finance Corporation to lead their Africa-based office. Um, the DFC was officially launched in January 2020. Prior to that, um, there was another U.S. government development finance uh, development finance institution called OPIC, and then there was a loan guarantee program housed within USAID. Um, under under legislation that was passed by the prior presidential administration, these two agencies and programs merged um, to form the DFC. And so um, I had the good fortune of, you know, hearing about this role. And really, I just jumped at the opportunity to seize upon the U.S. government having so much greater flexibility um, to invest in Africa. Oh, it's a fascinating story and a great path you followed to where, to where you are now in Joburg. But um, I've come across the, the DFC um, when it was in its previous uh, form as OPEC. Um, and that was, uh, as I understood, mainly geared towards providing debt facilities. Um, I know some private equity funds at that stage were a little bit reticent on taking on the funding. Um, as well as the fellow investors in those funds, just as a result of uh, how investors ranked. But I mean, maybe a, a, a bit more um, to give us a bit more color on on the DFC now going forward. Um, can you maybe just give us a little bit more depth, um, in depth sort of information on what the DFC represents? Um, you know, what types of investment tools it has as at its disposal, and also who is eligible and how would they apply? Sure. These are great questions. Um, so I think, you know, many of your listeners might be familiar with OPIC, which you referenced earlier in your question. Um, and as I'd mentioned, um, the DFC is really a new government agency. Um, it is the, it is America's development bank and our development finance institution. And when we became DFC from our predecessor entities, we, um, acquired a number of new uh, financial instruments and flexibilities. So you, you referred, um, Brendan to, uh, OPIC's focus on debt facilities. And as DFC, um, we continue to provide debt in all, uh, you know, in all, in a range of sizes. We can provide corporate and project finance debt ranging from 1 million all the way up to $1 billion. And that remains one of our primary product offerings. We also continue to p- provide political risk insurance. Um, one of the offerings we had is OPIC again for exposures between 1 million to 1 billion US dollars. Um, as DFC, we also have two new exciting instruments um, that I think address some of the concerns that you alluded to about um, the role of DFC in private equity funds, for example. Um, as DFC, we have um, equity authority and we can invest both into funds as well as take direct equity positions in companies. Um, and we've been, you know, hard at work building this portfolio out, um, both on the fund side as well as on the direct equity side. Um, in addition to that, we have a new technical assistance tool that allows us to provide some upfront grant support to projects that will receive longer-term DFC funding to help um, get involved in deals a little bit earlier in the life cycle. 
Um, in terms of how to connect with DFC and who's eligible, um, so first I'd like to direct you to our website, dfc.gov, which has an eligibility checklist for those who are interested. Um, and for purposes of just providing a summary, um, we look for supporting private sector companies that are working on projects or at companies that deliver development impact and that align with U.S. foreign policy. Um, you don't need to be American to apply. We can work with a wide, with a wide range of, um, businesses, including African businesses. Um, we do have a U.S. preference policy as a U.S. government agency, but once we became DFC, we really, um, cast a wider net and who we partner with to allow us to do more, particularly in low income and, um, lower middle income economies. Um, so that's a little bit about who we are and how we work. We know DFC has got a large reach, but um, what I'd like to understand is what are the minimum sort of transaction sizes that you're looking at? Sure. Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, we do have a fairly broad range of um, minimums as well as maximums. Um, so on the debt side, the minimum debt investment that we would make would be $1 million. Um, and as a an institution that seeks to catalyze private sector financing, that usually means the total project size is above 2 million because we wouldn't fund 100% of a deal. Um, and I would also say, you know, it's important to note here that um, our minimum size is 1 million, our maximum size is 1 billion. That's quite a large range. And we're doing deals across a number of sectors. And so we do have specialized teams that focus on transactions under $10 million to ensure that we are keeping focused on socially impactful investments. We also have... Um, a team that focuses on larger transactions, which we define as 50 million and more, um, that tends to do a lot of the larger infrastructure financing um, we see around Africa. Uh, and then the same exposure limits are, are true for our political risk insurance program. On the equity side, um, we have uh, mandates limiting us not to invest more than a 30% ownership stake in um, a company. And, um, you know, I think that still gives us quite a bit of flexibility in terms of what we can do at this point in time for the direct equity investments we're making. We are focused on growth stage companies and have a particular interest in businesses that are using technology enabled solutions. Very interesting. Um, the, um, Mauritius uh, historically has been a, a, an entry point into Africa, and we've seen a number of um, private equity funds uh, with cornerstone investors being domiciled out of Mauritius. Um, so two questions. First of all, has um, the DFC uh, got any view on where they fund, uh, if it's through a fund from a deployment perspective? And then secondly, I mean, you've touched on a few things which um, uh, around sort of uh, investment themes, uh, sustainability, development goals, etc. I mean, uh, and you've obviously been involved through the Power Africa initiative as well, but what have you seen in the market? Um, what have you seen in terms of um, uh, countries perhaps that have been focused on from an investment perspective and, and also obviously sectors? Sure. 
Um, so, um, to answer your first question about DFC's view towards investing in private equity funds, you're absolutely right. Mauritius is, um, often, you know, a headquarters for various fund managers. Um, I would say our view is, um, as, you know, as, as I've mentioned, we have the ability to invest equity into funds. We are, um, actively open and looking for new investments. Um, and we're looking to support fund managers that whose views and whose investment thesis aligns with our own um, objectives to deliver development impact um, and whose team, you know, part can partner with us um, in ensuring meaningful con- contributions to sustainable development. Um, in our first year of operations, we, in fact, invested in um, two African private equity funds that your um, that, that your audience may be familiar with. Um, these include SPE and African Invest. So that's two examples of some of the, the earlier investments that we've made. Um, we're certainly open to business um, this year for doing some more fund investments. So please, um, you know, keep your eyes open for, for some announcements from DFC on this space. Um, then in terms of our views just generally on the market, I think, you know, just to put DFC's activity in Africa in context, we currently have, um, about $7.8 billion in active exposure in sub-Saharan Africa, over 300 transactions. And these transactions span pretty much, um, every economy on the continent where we're open for business, which is almost all of them, um, I think, you know, broadly speaking, our objective in Africa is to do even more. Um, we see a lot of opportunity for a development focused institution such as ourselves to engage. Um, we don't have any particular focused countries where, um, we, we are, I will say, um, interested in continuing to amplify our activity in lower income economies. So that is a focus for us in terms of sectors. There's a number of sectors that I think, um, you will see DFC focusing on um, during this administration, which include um, climate-friendly investing. Um, energy has always been a big part of our portfolio, particularly renewable energy. And I think you'll see us do even more in that space. Um, second, we're very interested and committed to doing more to increase connectivity in Africa um, through critical infrastructure investments, including in the ICT sector. Um, third, we're um, focused on food security, which is, of course, the backbone of a healthy population. Um, fourth, in light of the global pandemic, um, we are very keenly aware of the need to strengthen Africa's health security, not just in the context of COVID, but more broadly speaking for long-term development. So um, we actually have um, a health and prosperity initiative um, that is actively seeking applications. Um, you can go on our website to learn more. And also, uh, you know, find a link for applying over there. And then finally, um, we are very focused on the empowerment of women and investing in women. We have a program called 2X, um, named after the 2X chromosomes that women have. Um, and we, to date, we have catalyzed over $7 billion globally for investing in women-owned businesses, women-led businesses, and businesses that target women beneficiaries. Viv, if I can move the discussion to politics, I mean, U.S. elections come and go and they often result in foreign policy changes. Um, Are there any specific policy changes you foresee under the incoming Biden administration or do you operate above politics? 
So, so we are a government agency. So of course we're part, and we're part of the federal government. We're part of the executive branch of government. So of course we um, are not above politics. Um, that said, um, you know, DFC is mandated by legislation that has um, support from across the political aisle. So, you know, our overall mandate of supporting private sector deals that deliver development impact and align with foreign policy um, remains the same. Each administration, of course, has its um it's, it's set of foreign policy priorities. And as you may be aware from just reading the news, the Biden administration has indicated that um, we'll have a strong focus on climate friendly investing, um, on global health security and on empowering women. So I think, um, you know, I think we'll continue to do the same work that we had been doing um, in our first year, but with a keen focus on those areas in particular. Vip, um, we had the benefit um, of of having a podcast with Colin Coleman uh, earlier on this year, specifically uh, sort of in, uh, reviewing his um, Yale um, document in respect of the China versus USA battle for Africa's future, um, which was obviously very interesting. But um, yeah, I mean, we, what what are your views in terms of you know the ongoing sort of um, battle for Africa in respect of China and America? And secondly, do you see more American companies uh, trying to get a foothold in Africa? Um, just obviously for what Sub-Saharan Africa offers in terms of growth. Um, yeah, what are your views on that? Sure. Yeah, that's of course um, a, a hot topic. Um, so I'm not surprised that you asked. Um, so you know, I think. When considering the U.S. the U.S.'s approach in Africa, I think it's important to distinguish our philosophy when um, investing in Africa and how it differs from that of authoritarian state-based regimes like China. Um, you know, DFC's approach to investing on the continent is we want to support investments that will deliver long-term tangible benefits to local populations and that are built on respect for local communities and the environment. Um, we partner with private businesses and we are very committed to ensuring our projects are built to high standards and on financially sustainable terms. Um, this attention to quality and on achieving a positive impact um, helps ensure that our projects create opportunity and economic growth and stability in the countries where we invest. And we also believe it's our competitive advantage. Um, I think, you know, as African policymakers are deciding how to engage with the U.S., I think one of the things that we have noticed in working around the continent is there is great appreciation for um, the U.S. government and DFC's focus on uh, long-term sustainable partnership built on mutual respect. In terms of interest from U.S. companies, I think, um, you know, there there is there is growing interest from U.S. companies in investing in Africa. I mean, I think as the world becomes more connected, uh, that's only natural that we look beyond borders to see where there might be markets for goods and services. Um, in terms of how the DFC responds to that, as I mentioned earlier, we have a U.S. preference policy um, to uh, help incentivize uh, U.S. businesses uh, seeking to make investments in emerging economies in Africa. Uh, we also closely partner with a number of other U.S. government agencies, including our Department of Commerce, um, in ensuring that information on opportunities in Africa is available to U.S. businesses. Um, so often we find uh, some of the 
reticence from certain businesses is because they aren't familiar with the markets and they're not available. They're not aware of the available opportunities. So I think as a broader all of U.S. government approach, um, there's a number of agencies really focused on making sure the information is available. And of course, you know, DFC remains ready to partner with those with um, developmental projects. But, but um, at Adansonia, we regard the um, implementation of the African Free Trade Agreement as as very important for the economic development of Africa. Is that something that the DFC is going to promote, or are you neutral? Uh, so I think we see the Africa Free Trade Agreement as a really key building block in enabling business across borders. Um, you know, depending on which institutions report you cite, um, it is starkly evident that the cost of moving goods, people and information on the continent is multiples more expensive what it is in the developing world. And if, um, Africa is to you know, sustainably develop and become globally competitive, it is necessary to bring down some of these costs. Um, some of the, you know, the two biggest barriers to doing so are one on the policy side, just the lack of a system of administration for um, doing cross-regional um, exchanges and, and to the lack of critical infrastructure. And I think what the African free trade agreement does is it addresses the former challenge by, by putting in place a policy framework for transacting and moving across the continent. So that's incredibly exciting. And I think it will only enable, um, more efficient, uh, investment. Um, and then, you know, with regards to the second point, the lack of critical infrastructure, that's really where we see, you know, DFC and our peer development finance institutions, as well as commercial financiers coming in and working with private sector to help bridge that infrastructure gap. We, we as uh, Ed and Sonia are extremely bullish on, on Africa. And um, obviously, it's extremely exciting to have a, an organization like the DFC now actively partaking to, um, you know, uh, continue to get involved in the development of Africa. So, uh, I mean, I think your information has been extremely insightful. I hope it obviously has maybe perked some interest from a couple of listeners in terms of the opportunities that uh, that the DFC does offer. And I uh, would like to thank you very much for taking some time out um, to talk to us today. Thank you so much, Brendan and Rudolph. It was a pleasure. And um, I also hope that this sparks some interest in DFC. I neglected to mention, for those who are interested in applying, the information is on our website at dfc.gov. And you can also email africa at dfc.gov. Um, so thank you again. Thank you.